Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Lucky, did you uh, get in line for the Taylor Swift tickets? Are you, uh, are you I'm, grabbing a pair? No. Um, and and I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed people mm. uh, today. When you, when you look at the demand... Although, and what is always infuriating, and and they can't seem to figure out how to uh, how to cut out, just because you you can't with reselling, is the people who are in line just to make money off, mm-hmm. and it's going to be huge because they know the demand for these. Things. Remember when um, when I first started going to concerts? So this would have been probably mid eighties, and uh, and scalping was seemed like such an illegal thing. Like I remember. Some guy would be in front of Maple Leaf Gardens, and he would say, "You need, uh, you need tickets." I'd say, uh, "Yeah," and you'd have to follow him down some alley and yeah. in behind some dumpster. And now it's just out in the open, and nobody cares. It started with the guy who said, "Do you need tickets?" and uh, and then that became illegal. So instead, they started shouting, "Who's got tickets?" All right. Uh, because asking people if they have tickets is not illegal, apparently. Right. Uh, and then now it's gone to the point where, you know, the ticketing agencies just embrace it mm. and say, well, if you want to resell your tickets, that's fine, but you got to do it on our site. Yeah. Uh, and, and that has gone to the level of extreme. It, it's just such a complicated system now. There was a time when you just lined up outside of a Max Milk. Or a Beckers and uh, waited for Bass to open up. And now you get the pre-orders and the getting in on the uh, advanced things. Banks are all in on it. I think our RBC has some link to uh, Taylor Swift tickets. Well, they've always had things like the, you know, American Express by the line and that sort of thing. And, and, and the fan clubs are the ones that had previous pre-sale access mm-hmm. to, um, ways to get codes before. And I mean, all of it is supposed to just get tickets into the hands of fans because at one point when it was line up to buy tickets, there were scalpers who were paying homeless people Mm -hmm. to stand in line and wait for them. The digital age has kind of ended that, but then became the area era of bots and, uh, and, and ways to get around the digital lineup. In the end, I find it amazing because all we ever hear and talk about is how you know interest rates and 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 spending is down or being limited mm. uh and people are having a tough time affording groceries but you know $10,000 tickets for Taylor Swift will be up for grabs later today it's um it's always been the case and it's been like this for a very long time the the uh the idea that you know there's so much poverty and so many people using food banks and so many people struggling day in and day out and we have all sorts of ads right here on the rock about people struggling for this and that and it is all very true and very real the problem is it's such a blurred vision because we see so much wealth. We see so many people doing so well. Mm-hmm. Yes, you'll see homeless people on the street. Of course, we see it. It's tragic and it's terrible. But then you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of 
cars and vans and pickup trucks and hockey arenas, parking lots, and families spending thousands and thousands of dollars in big, glorious homes and new ones being built constantly. So it's tough to go, well, where is this poverty? Or like, are we all just living way beyond our means? Or are there lots of families who have lots of disposable income? And I guess it's a mix of everything. Mm. I, I, you know... It, it it seems you're right. Like as we 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 are sitting at a time when interest rates have never shot up this high so quickly. Are they as high as they once were? No, they once went up to fifteen and eighteen percent in the eighties when people lost their homes. Right. When I first bought a house in the early nineties, this is what the interest rates were. But it's at a time when people are spending five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars more a month. There's the story of the family in Barrie. That yes. woman who her her home went from like twenty five hundred dollars a month to six thousand a month. So there are those tragic stories, and yeah, you're right. It, it just it's all so confusing and tough to get our our head wrapped around. And I've always thought this way as I've driven all over the GTA. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of wealth. Oh, yeah, just uh, drive just north across the GTA, yeah. and you'll see it. It, it. Today will be an interesting experiment in in the case that we have now is that my and our generation, for the most part, has a tough time saying no to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you mentioned the hockey, and 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 yes, we're I'm one that's guilty of it too. Let's you know, let's play and and spend and. We'll figure it all out when the time comes. You know, the, the Taylor Swift era for, for if you've got a Swifty mm-hmm. in your household, uh, you're going to look at this and go, oh, man, how do I get my hands on these tickets? Mm-hmm. And at what point is it not worth it anymore? It'll be streaming on Netflix inevitably. <laughs> That's when your kid can see it. Are you a beer fan? You uh, go into a, a pub and say, uh, what's on tap? And then they, now they've gotten smart at the pubs. They go, and it's all right there on the uh, menu because right. they're yeah. so tired of having to rhyme everything off. And Check then we, the QR code. And then we order a Coors Light, <laughs> um, which I'm fine with. I, I really am. I am not a beer snob on any level. It's funny. many who are. When you first said, are you a beer fan? I mean, my obvious answer is yes, I drink beer, but I am not the experimental Oh, not at all. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm very. I'm very weak in the knees when it comes to my beer, mm-hmm. and it turns out many of us are because a, a poll of about 800 and something plus beer drinkers found that most people just prefer a lager. Pale ales are the second most popular. The IPAs bottom of the list. Yeah, really. Yeah, because well, they vary walk- so much in taste. Well, they do. And you know, you can walk into any local brewery, and and they've got a robust. Offering of multiple IPAs. Sorry to tell you, nobody wants them. Yeah. Except for Lee Eckley. <laughs> <laughs> there are many that go for them, and they are kind of the beer snobs, or they're going to tell you all about them as they're drinking them, oh, yeah. or why you should like them. I contend it, Alexander Keith's ruined the IPA for me because it came out as the India Pale Ale, mm. and it tastes nothing like what any IPA I've ever ordered or gotten from. And I like an Alexander Keith. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, um, funny too with the, you know, they just try to be, uh, so unique. Like every, uh, kind of indie beer place, uh, a local brewery, you know, they'll come up with these names and it's usually always like an animal and a body part. It'll be like turtle ankle. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> snake pit. Right. Uh, pilsners were third. So first were lagers, then pale ales, then pilsners, followed by wheat beers, brown ales, and stouts. Okay. Then the IPA. Wow. Yeah. So people have a stout. Right. I don't even know. Is a Guinness a stout? That'd be that more like a stout. A Guinness, yeah. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even like, I don't like the amber beers. I don't like, like dark brown. I, I don't, I don't like wheat. I, I, yeah, I'm just, give me a Michelob. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. And it, you know, it's the same with wines. As much as I love red wine, I have, uh, over the last little while, I've had, I, we have this wine rack in the kitchen, holds about a dozen bottles. And every now and then I'll go to the liquor store. And I'll, I'll pick up a nice one from the vintage section. Mm. Now I have a price range. I stick in around 20 bucks. Okay. I see them with $74, $80. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, and I, but I, cause I almost feel like if I bought an $80 bottle of wine compared to say a 20 or my $13 bottle of boxed wine, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would really notice that much of a difference. I mean, I've had the expensive wines and they tasted good. Mm-hmm. But then I've had cheap wines that tasted good. Yeah. I, and I don't drink enough of it to have a discerning palate mm. for it. Yeah, I, I drink so much of it. Maybe my palate has worn out. <laughs> and I just don't notice it anymore. I mean, I, I like to think I can tell if it's the, the homemade wine mm. or the, uh, the make your own from the juice thing because mm-hmm. every now and then I'd have an uncle where every time we go to their place he'd be pulling out this stuff and and telling me how great it was. Mm-hmm. No, it didn't taste very good. No, my uh, my mother-in-law always has the homemade stuff and it usually she doesn't make it anymore. It usually comes from some other relative in a mason jar. And uh and uh some of it fine. It's fine. But a lot of it you got to cut it with ginger ale and right. fruit. Yeah. Well, that's a different animal. That's not made from juice. That's, you know, some guy in his garage is actually squishing the grapes. With right? his feet. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't know if they ever did. They must have at one time. In your in your mother-in-law's world, they're yeah. still doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's uh, the, the, the beer snob thing is uh, is is funny because it's really, it's really with some people an elitist thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go out for a drink with a uh, some buddies and a couple of them are beer snobs. You almost feel like a piece of poop ordering a Bud Light. Yeah. Like oh they yeah. They just well, look at you with disdain. Yeah. Did I just kill your dog? <laughs> Did you catch me sleeping with your wife? But uh, but that being said, I think a lot of times if you're if you're out at the pub, you'll you'll up your order just to keep up appearances. Now you might not. It might not be like the Bud Light. Instead, you'll go to like, oh, I'll have the Carlsberg or the mm. the Cronenberg, the Stella, the one that you know you like, but you wouldn't normally buy because it's more expensive. Stella's an interesting beer because I know a lot of people love them. I don't like the aftertaste of a Stella. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm so basic. I mean, yeah, Carlsberg, I'll, I'll always order. Much a like the Heineken, I guess. It's yeah. got a different. Well, because the, the Europeans got a different flavor. Yeah. Yeah. I like that um, when we were in St. Kitts, the uh, the Carbo Care- is it Carbo? Oh, Care- Carib, Carib, yeah. Oh, they were tasty, yeah, tasty and dirt cheap. <laughs> perfect, <laughs> my perfect beer. Somebody put together a list of the best comedy albums of all time. The AVClub.com did this, and comedy albums were a big deal at one time. Of course, not so much anymore. But I remember owning 
a lot of them. And, and it seems odd now to think back to a time when you would listen to a comedy album over and over and over again. Like, you've heard the jokes. I don't know why we had to keep going back. and <clears throat> But we did at one time. And at the uh, top of the list is uh, Richard Pryor's Live on the Sunset Strip from 1982, which I believe I owned a copy of. Actually, I think I owned two or three Richard Pryor albums. I remember he had a double live album called Wanted. And it was a white cover with a, a, a cartoon, a caricature of him on the uh, on the front. And I remember playing it very quietly in my bedroom. So right. Mother wouldn't hear all the language. Yes, of course. Uh, class clown, George Carlin, which gave us the seven words you can't say on TV. Uh-huh. And interesting, though, of this top ten, there is no Bill Cosby, which wow. he sold a lot of albums in the 70s, certainly with his stand-up. But I would think that uh, anything with Bill Cosby's name attached to it... Uh, would not be on any list of favorite things anymore. The most recent one is something from David Cross in 2002 called Shut Up, You Effin' Baby. Now, on this list also, and I've thought about this many times, Eddie Murphy in 1983 released an album called Comedian. And this was before Delirious. Okay. And he was very young because in Delirious he's like 21 or 22. So he was probably like 19 or something. It's just him wearing like a bow tie. He's got no shirt on. It's a bow tie and a, and a little flower over his ear. I think I've seen clips of it. And I owned a copy of it and I took it into this radio station that I had just started working at to probably steal some clips off of it to use it for something. And I forgot the album at the station, and somebody took it. And so I have for many years thought, is that a collector's item? Like, right. what was that worth, or what would it be worth now? So I just, because I saw it pop up here on this list, I looked it up. You can get it on Kijiji for like six bucks. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I one, didn't lose. Once again, you're not winning. <clears throat> no, once again, anything I own worth nothing. Um, I don't know if I've owned a comedy album. Mm. I mean, as a huge fan, uh, there was a radio station uh, in the in the 80s, I remember growing up, and every Sunday night would play comedy. Yep. Uh, and have a comedy hour. A couple of them that did that. Um, and, uh, and I would, same thing, kind of stay up with the radio, very quiet. Yeah. Uh, listening to that and trying to snicker quietly, uh, because it was past my bedtime mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, but, but that was a staple for me. And I would record those on cassette, mm -hmm. listen to them later, and you'd yeah. get little snippets of comedy bits. I would say probably the only comedy album I've, I, I remember buying was a CD of the Jerky Boys. Yeah, that was a big deal for in a the nineties, which is all about prank phone calls. Yeah, they were huge for a minute there. And it's funny. Recently, we were talking with uh, some family. We were at uh, uh, a get together, and somebody brought up the Jerky Boys. And of course, you go right to Spotify or whatever, and you can find it. And it's one of those things that you go, "Man, I thought this was really funny at the <laughs> time." <laughs> and it's. I'm waiting for that moment, you know. Right. The only thing that still catches me every time and I laugh is whenever I stumble upon, like, on on YouTube, like an Andrew Dice Clay stand-up right. moment. yeah. I never tire of it. As sad <laughs> and silly and childlike as it was, yeah. it still makes me laugh. And some of those things, especially old comedy, is one where you've just got to, if you loved it, go mm. back and enjoy it. But don't sell it. 
Mm. <laughs> because it's one of those things where you go back. If I were to take the Jerky Boys right now to my kids and be like, oh, man, I love this in the 90s. Yeah. And I played it for them. They think even more so that I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan. I, I, as I look at this list, no respect from Rodney Dangerfield and Steve Martin's Let's Get Small. He had about four or five albums, Wild and Crazy Guy and yeah. Comedy is Not Pretty. And I, I owned them all. I was a big fan of collecting that I, stuff back in the day. I still am. We, you know, having done that big road trip, comedy is something that we use yeah. to break up that trip. Right. You download a, a couple of uh, playlists of songs and then, you're tired. You think, oh man, what can keep you going? Mm. Well, you know, Jim Gaffigan's and, and Nate Brigazzi now, and there, there's so many very good comedians out there. And Sebastian Maniscalco, those that are doing a great job of it. Yeah. The spoken word on, on radio is, uh, is really having a rebound because yes, as we know, you can get your, your music anywhere. The only problem I have with those comedy stations on, uh, on satellite or also there's a couple of, AM stations that run comedy bits. Is there, if I know the bit, yeah, and they edit it at the wrong place, like if they cut <laughs> it off too soon, and I know there's more coming. Uh, and there's also on the AM stations, there's a, a few words, of course, they will uh, they will edit and bleep. Uh, they let a lot of stuff go. I'm actually surprised by some of the words you hear. Of course, they they edit the f bomb and and others. Um, but then they'll get like Richard Pryor, where every other word was the f bomb, and I just think, what poor sucker had to sit and edit that? You, you better just listen to that one on your own. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because they sometimes they just ruin it. But uh, yeah, comedy albums were a big deal at, at one point. I remember my parents like they'd have neighbors over, they'd get some comedy album. There was a woman I can't remember. Uh, what her name was. Anyhow, she was like risque for the time. Mm. And, uh, and they would all get together. It was like mad men at my house. You know, they'd all be sitting around. <laughs> they'd be sipping scotch and they would listen to these albums over and really? over and over again. Yeah. It was, uh, I guess, an early seventies uh, thing to do. And then they'd yell at me and say, go to bed. <laughs> In your home, do you have a specific dinner time? Now, I know that, uh, certainly with young children, it can be all over the place because of, uh, extra activities. But, uh, for some families, and certainly I know with my, uh, with my wife's family when she was growing up, it was like 5.30 on the dot. Like, right. her dad got home at like 5.15 and by 5.30 they were all down and dining. And uh, certainly as our boys were growing up, Maria really liked to try to stick with that routine. So much so, and it used to drive me crazy because I didn't grow up in a house like that. Mm. Dinner could be anywhere between, oh, I don't know, let's start at 7 p.m. and midnight, <laughs> depending on where my mother was at and what my father was up to. Um, but so it took me a long time. And my boys got so used to it by like 5.35. Three, they were like, uh, what? where's dinner? <laughs> dad, you're late. Yeah. It was always a big push. And, and I, my dad, and I'm this way too. I, uh, I can't just come in and plop down and eat. Oh, like, really? I, need, I need a little chill time. You got on wine? Yeah. Well, not that I've ever had like a full day job where I, you know, was fighting traffic <laughs> on the way home. What are you coming in from your nap? Yeah. A beer yeah. in the backyard. <laughs> um, but I think it, uh, in any, um, like if we if we went to somebody's house for dinner, I, I I can't just hey 
and throw down at the table. Right. So anyhow, my dad was, he'd come home from work and by the time he got out of his suit, you have a drink or two or four. <laughs> and, you know, within an hour of being home, kind mm. of, then we'd finally uh, sit down and eat. What about you guys? Your family, your, your, when you were living with your parents? Uh, it was certainly growing up. Uh, I think, you know, by the time dad got home, it, it was usually, I just remember we always had a TV in the kitchen because mm. he'd watch the evening news right. as we were eating. So I would say it was usually timed around that. Around six o'clock. Yeah, around like six that. o'clock. I don't, I don't remember being a specific time, but there was a lot of eating around that, yeah. that TV. Are you guys all over the place now? Well, with hockey and right. other sports, yeah, we're, we're scrambling to, to pack it in. Usually the dinner prep doesn't start until Adrian's finished work. So that'd be like five o'clock. Right. Uh, and, and then we'd eat around five thirty or six. That's pretty good. Yeah. Prep, prep at five and on the table by six. Yeah. Although well, I guess I mean, it's not difficult to boil a bag. I'm heating it up. <laughs> <laughs> when you're just dialing seven digits for a pizza, it's yeah, not that well, difficult. Yeah. Well, some of those take a long time. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, 619. This is a specific time. 619 is the, 619 is the peak dinner time. Okay. I would say that. I, I would imagine because, uh, this is something that would drive my mom nuts all the time, that the phone would ring at like mm. 6.05, right? <laughs> Someone would be calling. Right. And, and and it would be, don't you know it's dinner time, yeah. right? Like it, if you're calling someone in the 6 o'clock hour, there's a, a high probability that they're eating at that point. Yeah. We we really tried when the boys were quite young. We, we really made the attempt to uh, sit at the kitchen table, the four of us, and when we were having, whether it was breakfast on the weekends or dinner during the week, you know, to eat together, to not take it to the in front of the TV. And Maria would always like to play this game of, you know, what what was a great moment in your day? What was a bad moment in your day? And, and like, I would sit there and think the worst moment is playing this game again. <laughs> that's like Kramer. Now we're going to talk about your yeah, day. That's right. That's right. And at some point, though, as the years went on, and of course, uh, the f- smartphone be- became something stuck in our hand for all of us. There was no need for that game anymore because I knew exactly what had gone on <laughs> right. all day long. So uh, inevitably, we all ended up in front of the TV and now in our, our living room because it is um, open concept. The TV is right there. So we all we have a round table, but we all kind of scatter to the one side so we can <laughs> so we can see the TV or somebody sits at the island so they can look over everybody's head to see the TV because why talk? Right. It'll just turn into a fight anyhow. <laughs> Uh, but most people eat uh, dinner between 5 and 8 p.m. There's a little pop-up around 4. I couldn't imagine having dinner at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Blue plate special? Yeah, I guess so. And there are some who say 11 o'clock at night. Eh, I guess it's shift work, too, and yeah. when, whenever you get home. Depends on your hours. Yeah. And we've had, there's some days where four of us eat at four different times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got everything going on. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a better way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Maria was in Italy, uh, and I was just on my own. One of the things I realized was one, how living on your own is so simple. Right. It's so flippin' simple. There's no discussion about anything. And the, the, the day certainly stretches on a lot longer mm-hmm. because you're like, ah, I'm gonna have, uh, Salt and vinegar chips for dinner. <laughs> well, isn't that though part of it is that you, when it came down to actually making dinner and you considered the effort that it mm. took to cook for one, you're like, 
Yeah, I'll just have these chips. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, listen, even when I lived on my own and I had like a fully furnished apartment with a kitchen, I couldn't bring myself to cook from mm-hmm. home. It's, you have to, I would think, if, if, uh, if you're on your own, you have to inevitably get into a routine. You cannot survive on just chips. Right. But, uh, but it's just so easy, especially if you're in a, a, a metropolitan area, if you're in an, an urban, um, you know, because there's just so many options. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, why would you ever? And it's just so much effort. So, yeah, I would think like weekend cooking, making things and freezing it is really probably the way to go. But I would struggle. Oh, well, I would struggle with that. <laughs> I know me for sure. And I think he, because I like to cook, I, th- I know I was, I think you would be just lost. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, but the only, the only caveat to that is I don't love eating out alone. Mm. So I get be, used to it. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. And I, and I am, I am now, yeah, right? right? When I travel on the road, a lot of times it's, it's eating alone and, yeah. and it's fine. Yeah. But. The, uh, I would think at home I'd either be ordering in a yeah. ton, mm-hmm. um, or I, I perfected when I was at university the one pot meal mm-hmm. where everything was just thrown together. It wasn't eating healthy. <laughs> no. And no. loving to barbecue is easy too because you just throw on a steak or a chicken breast and yep. cut that into something. And that's probably why they would say that, you know, marriage and having a family does make you live longer because you do cook broccoli. Right. You never would on your own. <laughs> ever. You couldn't spell it if you were on your own. Uh, I know, Lucky, you're a fan, or maybe it's Adrian is more of the fan of the home improvement shows. Or are you both addicted to uh, them? I think we're both up there. Yeah. I, I, I watch more of um, the ones where I, I watch with a different eye. Like, I watch going, well, I would that work in our house, mm. right? Or I'm looking at uh, potential things that I'd like in a, in a dream home scenario. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, she might be looking at uh, from a different angle of, of just you know oh who which celebrity lives there and what what do they what do they live like? Well, it is said that if you uh, if you do spend a lot of time watching these shows, you should probably stop watching them because they just do nothing but make you feel bad about yourself. Right. First of all, they give you a false impression of how cheap it is to totally transform your living space. True. They also make it seem quick and easy, and even when they run into some crazy roadblock like mold inside the wall they somehow just solve it usually between a commercial break it never happens like that in real life Uh uh-huh and while the stuff they do looks great it's often superficial made from low quality workmanship and cheap materials these shows also give people increased anxiety about the attractiveness of their own homes and once again doing something about it is way more expensive and time consuming than these shows make it seem Mm mm-hmm and yeah, I can I can see that. There's an element of boy, I wish I wish we could do that in our mm-hmm. home or I wish our home looked like that. I there's some that would like I like to watch that are like uh, it's called what like house hunters. I think when people are looking uh, to buy a home, mm. uh but uh, like they do it internationally. Mm-hmm. And I look at it like vicariously because I I'm not picking up and moving to Czechoslovakia. But when you see... You like, wouldn't move, move to Curtis, it's too far. <laughs> right, well, Curtis is Curtis. Uh, but yeah, but I look at it and go, oh, well, you know what? I would never do it, but there's some beautiful places to live out in the world. Yeah. I think you've got uh, about uh, two blocks north is about all you would venture. Right. Well, it's funny because there's a show called like Love It or List It is one, which is extremely annoying because basically you do a renovation in your own home and they show you homes you could potentially move to. Right. uh, And you have to decide whether or not you want to move or stay. But 
I, I mean, they always, there's like a script that they follow, right? And there's some built-in problem that's always happening in your home that's going to sink into your budget or you're going to find mold or hmm. electrical. they got to redo everything, whatever. But you look at it and you go, okay, well, what's your comfort zone for moving out of your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And at this point for me, yeah, it's pretty basic. <laughs> Um, just because we're locked into between hockey and schools, we're happy with the, uh, the neighborhood we have. In a few years, that could completely change for me. Yeah, but I don't think so. Perhaps. I think the only way you're leaving that house is toes first. At <laughs> 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 interest rates the way they are, because yeah, yeah. I thought about moving it, and thank goodness we didn't. Uh, another evil byproduct of home improvement shows is that they make everybody's house look the same. Open concepts, gray paint. We're seeing it in the same element over and over and over again. And these shows um, are probably doing something that none of us really realize. They reinforce boring, outdated gender stereotypes. Almost all these shows have a goofy male contractor who rips into the job like a kid playing with toys while his more mature female partner rolls her eyes at his antics. Right. The couples whose homes get renovated also tend to fall into the outdated type. There's always some light bickering along gender lines, stuff like the guys worrying about the budget and the women's concerned about closet space. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I remember, um, I think that the international... Shopping one, home shoppers one. I think I watched a few times, and I think we got hooked on like uh, homes on homes or something yeah. like that at some point. Well, that one is different because you're watching that to see that. Oh, at least their problems are worse than mine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I live in a poo hut, but at least yeah. it's not falling in. I honestly, my biggest problem is I can't find anybody to fix my problems. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like I've said this before. I can go up into cottage country and see mansions built into the side of a cliff. I can't find a plumber. Right. I can't get somebody to unclog my toilet. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. Rock mornings with, with Craig, Craig Venn and Lucky. Lucky. 949 The Rock.